This next eight weeks is going to be very special. And what's special about it is uh, that Jesus is going to teach us how to follow him. Jesus teaches very specifically how to follow him in today's world. And that's kind of weird because we don't actually see Jesus and can physically follow him. We know that it's metaphorical. We know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, just like we say most every week here. And that we still follow him in the world, but that following isn't metaphorical, it's real. And as we follow him, what that looks like is we become more and more, like the ladies have said, we become more and more a student of Jesus. If you're going to become a student of someone, what do you do? You copy them, right? You analyze who they are, how they walk, how they talk, the decisions they make, what they do in the world. And then you copy them. You seek to be like them. If you've ever thought about a mentor in your life, someone that you could learn from, and particularly if you're learning how to do a new career, if you've got a really good mentor, you copy that person's habits. You get to know what they do, what they say, and even what they think, the thought process behind, processes behind their actions, and you begin to copy them. What I love about this series and the idea that we are going into a season of discipleship is the fact that uh, we are going to have lives change around us. Lives are going to change around us, and in fact, our lives are going to change internally. Our hearts are going to change. God is going to lead us into a new direction. And what we're going to be doing is learning how Jesus makes disciples. In particular, over the next several weeks, the idea becomes uh, that Jesus is going to lead us toward uh, following him in the real world and making more disciples. And if you think about that for a second, uh, it can be a little bit harrowing, a little bit scary to think about the idea of making a disciple. You might even be tempted to think that you're not qualified to make disciples. You will be joining good company because the very first disciples also felt the same way. What we're going to do together this morning is we're going to re-examine the scriptures that have been read. Particularly, they're called the Great Commission. What I'd like to do is take them kind of line by line, as the ladies have done with a really good appetizer this morning, break open the different parts of the Great Commission and see how those will apply to us. If we look back over the scripture from this morning, the first line says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, what do you notice about that first sentence? Jesus had told them to go somewhere. So it seems implicit in the idea that we are following Jesus in the real world, that Jesus is going somewhere. Doesn't that seem reasonable to say? That if we are following our living Lord and he's still alive, that Jesus is actually going somewhere. That means that we are called to go after him, to follow him. That means that Jesus goes before us, that there's a work that's happening in the world that God is doing before us, even in spite of us, that we are called to join. We're joining the work of Jesus when we follow him. So this has been the case since the very beginning. Disciples of Jesus take action. They get up and go, they do stuff. They invite people into their homes, even if it's an overwhelming number of people. They open their homes up and make them hospitable to strangers. 
They entertain conversations with people that they've never had before. They spend time with small groups of people that they've never really spent time with before on a deep level. And they allow God to work and to move in that. That's kind of the crux of the follow series is the idea that God is going to call us into places that we've never been before. God's going to call us into experiences that we've never had before. God is going to call us into relationships we've never been a part of before. And we're going to spend the next several weeks, in fact, the next seven after this, unpacking the idea of how Jesus leads disciples to make more disciples. Now, where does this come from? The church is tempted to be inwardly focused from its very beginning. The very first disciples looked at that call and needed to be prodded and urged on. They needed to be told to go somewhere. Otherwise, they would have hunkered down in fear, fear for their lives, fear of persecution, fear of change, and they never would have gone anywhere. They would have simply have stayed in Jerusalem. But Jesus sent them out so that they would be outwardly focused. They would have their focus and attention on something other than themselves. See, the church has been tempted since the beginning of time to look at its own belly button, to become inwardly focused, to turn in, and to stop going. The church has been tempted to look at its own interests, its own wants, its own desires. What kind of music do I like? What kind of worship service do I like? What kind of building do I like to meet in? What kind of people do I like to go to church with? What kind of pastor do I like to listen to? What kind of musical group do I like to see up on stage? What kind of multimedia? What kind of colors? What flavor of coffee? What flavor of donuts? Is there cake? Do they have childcare? The list goes on and on and on. The church is tempted to sit back on its laurels, gaze at its navel, and stop actually going. But it is Jesus who comes along and reminds us very gently, but forthrightly, you are called to go. And I'm going to send you places that you've never been before. But we join a crowd of people who've had doubts about that. From the beginning, look at what the scripture says. It says they saw Jesus, and this is after the resurrection, before they were commissioned to go out into the world. They saw him and they worshiped him, but some did what? They doubted. Do you ever have doubts about your commission? Because the commission is yours. It is not mine. Now it's mine because God has given it to me, but it's not only mine. In fact, it's more yours than it is mine. Have you ever thought about your commission and doubted yourself in it? That maybe you're not qualified to go anywhere and to represent Jesus Christ. Take comfort in the fact that from the beginning, you join a crowd of people who have felt the very same way. And yet, Jesus has been working in us and through us since the beginning. Since the very first person, uh, call it Doubting Thomas or any of his other uh, compadres out there around Jesus who needed to see proof that Jesus actually died on the cross and rose again from the grave. They saw him after he rose from the grave. They saw the prints in his wrists and Thomas even touched that gash in his side where the sword went in. Something like 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. He showed himself to the world. He didn't hide. And this was all before he gave them their marching orders. 
Will Jesus work in and through you when you have doubts? Yes. Does God expect you to have doubts in this world about who you are in him and about your role in the Great Commission? Yes. He's already gone ahead of you in that. And I would suggest that the way we know that is by reading this story. All you have to do when you have doubts is go back to the beginning and read the Great Commission. See that there were people there who were worshiping Jesus and yet at the same time doubted him. And take comfort in the fact that God will not allow your doubts to compromise his commission. In fact, he will work through them. It's just like we talked about in the last several weeks. God will work through your doubts and your weaknesses in faith to do what? To prove himself strong. So take comfort in that. Take comfort in him. You are not the one who bears the strength, the responsibility of the strength of the Great Commission. God is the one who does this work in you and through you. And in moments of doubt, he will show himself to you. Now what does that look like? Let's take it a step further. God calls for us to be all in. Have you ever played poker before? The last time I played a really good solid poker game is it was with a group of friends when I was a kid. And I mean a good solid poker game because I think it lasted about four hours. And what we bet with since we were kids was M&Ms. We couldn't have real money to bet with and we didn't have any monopoly of money around the house. So we bet with M&Ms. But the weird part was is that when we got to the end of the game and I actually won that game, I was very proud of myself for sticking it out and winning that game. I had a huge pile of M&Ms that other people had touched. <laughs> so I couldn't actually eat the prize. And I just felt really grossed out by the fact that everybody had been touching all the M&Ms all the way through the group. Now call me obsessive compulsive, but it was M&Ms that other people had handled. And even as a kid, I could not find myself to eat the pot. So I gave it away. I let others eat it. But have you ever thought about what it's like to be all in? There were moments during that game and, and other moments in my life where I've been faced with the idea of putting all my chips on the table, putting all the M&Ms into the kitty and betting everything on what was on the table. This is what Jesus seeks in his disciples. He wants disciples who are all in. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean disciples who are never going to doubt? No, that's not what it means. What it means is disciples who will trust him in their doubts. Disciples who are allowed to have doubts about who they are and about what the kingdom of God is. And yet, rely on him and on his strength and on his power in those moments of doubt. That's what it means to be all in. Because we have a God who saves. We do not save ourselves. Amen? So why would we not carry that logic forward and say, in our moments of human weakness and doubt, who do we trust in? Is it myself and my own power? Or is it my Lord who goes before me? Hence the word follow. We lead in the church only by doing one thing by following Jesus. If you ever see someone in this fellowship rise up into leadership, 
The only reason that person is rising up into leadership is because he or she is following someone else. And the person they're following is who? It is Jesus. And you can tell the difference, can you not? You can tell when a leader is following Jesus or when a leader is leading, trying to lead people on their own strength. This is why we have this protocol of discipleship where we follow Jesus and he teaches us and leads us how to create new disciples. So Jesus is looking for people who are all in. Here's what verse 18 says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth, in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By who? His heavenly father. God gave him all the authority that there is to rule over all the nations, all kings, all governments, from before time to the current time and to times that have not yet been experienced. He says, therefore, and anytime the scripture says, therefore, you ask the question, what is the word there for? What are we getting ready to say about that? Because of what has been said, that Jesus has all authority. He is supreme. He is our commander, our leader. He is the one who loves us and goes before us. Because of that, because of that sovereignty, he says then, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, you are a disciple of Jesus, aren't you? If you weren't a disciple of Jesus, then this hour and a half on Sunday morning might be really difficult for you. If you are here, you are seeking to hear from God, aren't you? You're seeking to hear his voice. That's why you come together in fellowship and hear the word of God spoken. What it is about that that makes it so special is that we are disciples by listening to his voice. And I would even say, if you look at the definition on the screen behind me, I would even say that the definition of a disciple is not only one who listens to the voice of his leader, copies the actions of his or her leader, even tries to emulate the, emulate the thought process of the leader, but one who also turns and shares that learning with someone else. If you look up the word that Avi mentioned earlier, that Greek word, we're not going to try to pronounce it again. That Greek word's definition up on the screen is twofold. Look at definition number one. Definition number one says to be a disciple of one or to follow his precepts and instructions. And definition number two says what? To make a disciple, to teach and instruct. The very definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is included in the idea that you are going to make more disciples. Not that you have to make a list and check this off your action list, but that by nature, by design, as a disciple of Jesus, you end up sharing what you have with someone else. That is implicit in the definition of being a disciple, that you will make more disciples, even in the face of doubt, even when you doubt yourself. Aaron says, amen and amen. Even when you doubt yourself and think that you can't make another disciple or that you're not qualified or that you're not good enough, God says, no, I have made you good enough. And in fact, this is what I have set aside and charted the course for you to do. You are to make more disciples. <clears throat> and what we're going to ask you to take a look at is the idea 
of how God makes more disciples and what he does in that process. Look at something that the apostle Paul wrote. Uh, and this is, or was written about him actually, in the book of Acts. Paul had just been stoned, and I'm not talking about the drug stoned, I'm talking about the type of stoned where they throw big football-sized rocks at you and try to take your life away. Paul had just been stoned and drug outside the city, and here's what the scripture says about what happened next. It says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. This word right here comes from the same root word that we were just looking at the definition of. They won a large group of disciples. That means they shared the good news of Jesus and a whole bunch of brand new people became what? Disciples. But now wait a minute. Uh, did those people have qualifications before they became disciples? No. They became disciples by hearing the word of God. So we see that activity going on there. They heard the word of God. They heard people trust in God and saw that happen in real time. And they became disciples. They just entered into discipleship. And then the scripture goes on and says, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the what? Disciples, same root word. These were people who had formed together into churches in those areas. So you've got disciples who are brand new and have never done it before, right? And you've got disciples who formed together into groups, small groups of people who were called churches, who met in homes back then. But you've got the, the original disciples, and you could say Paul was one of those, by Jesus' call and command, right? You've got an original group of people who are making new disciples by sharing God's word in their life as they went. And then you've also got people who are seasoned in the faith and need constant discipleship and direction. But then what happens is you see the marching orders come. As you go back to the Great Commission, go back to Matthew 28, you see the activity that was happening in the churches with these brand new disciples. And V had shared with us kind of a sort of a countdown or a marching order of activities that happened through the Great Commission. Here are a couple of highlights of those. One activity is baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now every two months or so, we stop taking communion on a Sunday and baptize people here. We baptize little babies and we also baptize grown people. Why do we do that? Because Jesus said to do that in this scripture right here. This is why we do it. This is a command of Christ. And we follow this command by actually taking water and by sprinkling it over the forehead of a person who wants to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We consider baptism kind of like an entry right into discipleship, but it's more than that. It's what we call a sacrament. That's where God merges together the power of his word and faith and merges them with a physical element that we can touch, something that we can see and taste and feel. And in this case, in baptism, it's water. In most cases, it's warm water. Tap water that isn't holy or special. It's water that came out of a, of a, a faucet at a sink, warmed up a little bit for temperature and comfort but it's plain old water that you might drink later with lunch. And it's merged together with God's word so that something miraculous happens. Faith is imputed to that person. The Holy Spirit is given to that person as a gift. And we see that as faith life beginning. So we share that gift with 
not only grown people who've said they want to become disciples, but also parents of very little children who say they want their children to become disciples. In fact, we are doing a baptism weekend next weekend. As Wetlers are not with us today, Mason is not feeling well, but his little sister Ellie is going to be baptized here next weekend. We're going to pour water over her little forehead and we're going to say the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. If there's anyone here in this room today that would like to join her, we open that door up and we welcome and we allow and we encourage people to come forward and be baptized. Why do we do that? Because Jesus included that as a part of his command to make disciples. He started it with this idea Go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he said, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We're teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. Now, how does that happen? For us, it starts with baptism, and then it moves on into Bible study. Bible study happens first and foremost right here. We are studying the scripture together, and every single time we meet as a fellowship, the one thing that will be at the center of our meeting is God's word. Every single time. There will always be the word and there will always be a sacrament. The sacrament is either going to be communion or it's going to be holy baptism. Anytime TSN has a worship gathering, those two elements will be present. And that's what defines a worship service. So you'll see those two there. But where else does Bible study happen? It also happens best in small group which by the way is where we believe discipleship happens best and most at Trinity. And where else does it happen? It also happens not only on Sunday morning, but it also happens in the fellowship as we leave this place. So when we take communion and we do our offering and we do a closing song and we do a sending, a blessing, we send people out into the world not to stop following Jesus, but to continue following Jesus. So we encourage each other and build each other up in faith through studying the word here, but we don't want you to only be exposed to the word here. We want you to let this place and this gathering be a launch pad for what you're going to experience out there. And the thing is, is when you find that you bind together with other people you know around God's word, and there's no pastor around anywhere to be seen, in many cases, that's where the most profound speaking into your life, God does. When it's just you and him, and one or two or three or four or 80 other believers, <laughs> however many he has called and brought together, he will speak into your life in the word. There doesn't need to be a pastor present for that. If there is one, that's fine. But in most cases, the powerful interaction you're going to have with God is when you open that word yourself and you bind together with other people that you know and you care about and you let the word of God open up to you and the word of God speak directly to you. This is how we experience the word of God at TSN. And as V said earlier, Jesus promises to be with us how long? Always. And then he says to the very end of the age. Now, does that mean Jesus is not with us after the very end of the age? No. It means that we see him face to face after, at the very end of the age. 
But he promises, even though we cannot physically see him in front of us, he promises to be with us. Now, how, how does that work? How does that happen? Mainly it happens through you getting together with other believers and centering what you're doing in time around God's word. Now, our men's group did an amazing service project or two in one night a few weeks ago. They tore down an old play structure at the Naperville Family Shelter Service Domestic Violence Shelter. It was a discreet serving event, and they all had to sign a confidentiality agreement that they wouldn't let anybody know where the shelter was. They went out there and they worked together, several of them with sawzalls in hand, which I wish I had seen, because that sounds pretty cool, right? They tore down this old play structure that was leaning like that, 20 degrees over, and they hauled all the stuff out and put it on the street. They bound, they bound together in service because they'd known each other. They, know, they knew each other by getting together over food and by studying the scripture together. And what you don't see with the men's group is guys getting together and all their noses are buried deep in the book. You don't see that. You see a bunch of guys sitting around a table having pulled pork sandwiches, enjoying each other's company, with a baseball or football game in the background, having average everyday conversation. And as God works through the Holy Spirit in their lives, he weaves conversation together that encourages them and lifts them up. And that comes from studying his word. So it's not that they have to become Bible scholars, is that they allow God's word to permeate their conversation. They refer to it. They use it for Bible study. They use the book that we've produced for the follow series, which is laden with the scripture. And they allow God's word to permeate their everyday conversation. And in this, Jesus is with us. In this, Jesus walks before us. When we get together and the word of God is there, Jesus promises to be there. Did you know that? Whenever you get together with your group of people, Wherever that is in small group or over coffee or over a beer or whatever you think is most appropriate, uh, you will experience the presence of Jesus Christ among you. You will experience God's presence there. He said in another place, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. This is why we follow a real Jesus a Jesus who is alive in the world. This is why we follow one that we can trust because he's not the kind of God that is far away that we need to try to find. He is God and he is with us right here. That's what his name means, Emmanuel, God with us. And when you get together around Jesus, you will find that he is there in your midst. Look at what this says in another version where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. So the next time you get together with your group, whoever your tribe is, whoever your people are, whichever your small group is, if you allow the word of God to be at the center of that group, then you're going to have another group member that you need to set a place for because Jesus is there with you. He's there beside you. And he will speak into your group and into your midst. And when he does that, 
He's going to show you how to follow him. What does that mean? It means following him as he makes more disciples through you. Now we don't know who those people are yet. We have not identified them by name. Only God can do that. But will he bring people across your path that he will intend to make disciples out of through your life? Yes. And amen and amen. He does that all day long and that is part of his job description as the son of God, Emmanuel, who is with us. The same one who says, go and make disciples. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to learn how that works. I want to encourage you as strongly as I can, don't miss worship for the next seven weeks. No matter what's going on in your life, be here with your brothers and sisters. Lock into this teaching with us. And at the same time, if you're not in a small group, let us help you find one between this week and next week. If you're not in a small group and one of those times or dates doesn't work with you, let us know. We can help you get connected and perhaps even start one of your own. You don't have to be an expert and it's okay to have doubts. Will God work in that and through that to show himself strong? Yes, he will. Trust him and take a step forward after him and he will meet you there and walk with you there. Do you believe that to be true? If so, say amen and amen.